0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Catching Large Men, Hayden, and we're featuring Captain John Parks of Early Riser Fishing Charters out of the Swansboro area. We're going to be talking about where to locate bait in different areas of the coast net selection boat position taken into account current and wind and then care for the bait after it's caught a lot to go over my name is gary hurley of fisherman's post fisherman's post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003 we've been bringing you fishing reports fishing information fishing tournaments fishing schools and here in our latest and greatest effort the fisherman's post saltwater podcast series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends From up and down the north carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts their insights their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often i'm joined by my co-host billy thorpe of thorpe creative hey billy welcome to another episode
1: hey what's going on gary good to see you man it's been a minute since we've well, probably like a day since I've seen you. But anyway, it's good to see you again.
0: <laughs> it is. It's good. It's good to be in the podca- podcast realm. And, you know, a lot of people are always curious about bait. So I, I have a feeling, I have a gut feeling that this is going to be a popular one.
1: Yeah, man. It's going to be a good one. I'm excited. We got John connected up, ready to go. You guys are fired up in the in the pre-show. So it's good, man. So I got a couple of sponsor shout outs real quick. And then we'll get back to it. So our first sponsor here is Bland Landscaping Company. Um, they reached out to us, fans of the show, and we're fans of them. And uh, they are looking for some good men and women to come be a part of their team. Uh, so if you're looking for a new job this year, uh, hit the, hit those guys up. Go to the website, blandlandscapingco.com, and see uh, see what kind of jobs they have in your area all over North Carolina. So we really appreciate uh, another local business supporting us, another local business. So, yeah, Gary, it's um it's a good time, man. Those guys are always fun. And I'm sure if you need some work done, they're going to be available for that as well.
0: You think? I think they would. If you needed some work done, they're your people. <laughs> they're if you're like looking for career. not just a job, but a career, they're your people, man. I, I love the relationship. I love that we're aligned with them. I hope we're doing a good job of communicating what they're all about to our audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, good good crew over there. And if the uh, company's any reflection of their leadership, man, they're super nice people, so be a good place to be a good place to be and next up we got our uh, sponsor who's been with us since episode number five i always say that i gotta come up with something else but marine warehouse center got a quick message from them we'll be right back Marine warehouse we have everything we have new boats we have parts we have accessories new trailers we have a complete service department with highly trained technicians anything you need to get out
2: on the water we have it. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs.
1: What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the
2: water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water.
1: All right, there you go, man. Good crew over there.
0: They are, man, and they're busy. They're hopping. The season is here. It's fully here. I mean, it's been here. And these guys are, you know, taking care of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, me, one of them. And I am I am on the water thanks to Marine Warehouse Center.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, too, if you guys are listening or watching, that they actually will ship to places as well. That's something internationally, all over the country. You don't have to be in North Carolina or South Carolina area to do business with them. So just go call them up, see what they got, and ask Terrell to tell
0: you... Does he have any jokes? Yeah, jokes. Still, he calls me all the time.
1: Oh my god! I mean, as
0: busy they are, I mean, at least Emmett's busy. I don't know if Terrell's busy, <laughs> but Emmett's busy. Terrell just keeps calling me, saying, "Hey, I got one, man. You need one? You got? I got one. You need one? Here you go. This one's a little bit atypical." You know, he said, "Here, this is what this guy said before my sur- again Terrell's joke, not mine. Before sure. my surgery." My, an- my anesthesiologist offered to knock me out with gas or with a boat paddle. It was an ether or situation.
1: <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. I'm, I'm going to give it to Terrell. I'm going to give it to Terrell. I'm going to give him a golf clap. That was good. That was good. I like that one.
0: Well, good. So, I'm glad you like that. Terrell. It was rather clever. I thought it was rather clever of Terrell.
1: Buy a boat, get a joke. Marine Warehouse Center, go. I, whoa! <laughs> hey.
0: You just gave them a billboard. <laughs> Buy a boat, get a joke.
1: That's right. Or that might not be good. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know that. We could certainly <laughs> uh, clown that one, can't we?
1: Mixed messaging.
0: <laughs> not that we <laughs> would clown them because we love them, but you know there are people out there that might clown that.
1: Yeah, losers would try to clown them
0: you give me a fish photo man
1: oh yeah i got one right here for you uh we got chevelle Harmon uh from uh Aguir, i don't know how to pronounce that with a 34 pound mackerel that fell for a life okay yeah you can't be laughing while i'm trying to talk man i'm struggling that was is. pretty bad and then you're making fun of me a,
0: i can straight face with the best of them but that was pretty Pretty bad. Uh, And we talked. I think it's Cheville. Cheville. But I know it's Angier. I don't I I don't know that it's Cheville, but I know it's not (laughs) Angogol
2: You know what?
1: Who put the guy that can't read to read the (laughs) caption? Oh man. Anyway.
0: Hey look. I want, I'm going to keep reminding people of our other project, our new project, the weekly fishing reports. Man, if you've been looking at Fisherman's Post coming out every month thinking, man, I wish I had more timely reports, then we have the solution. Weekly inshore fishing reports delivered behind a membership wall at Fisherman's uh up and down the North Carolina coast, about an hour's worth of reports every week for the low, low price of 10 bucks a month or a hundred bucks for the year. And, you know, it's gotten a great reception. It's fun for us. It's fun for the captains. And I just see it growing, you know, uh, and again, enjoy it, enjoying the ride, enjoying the creative process.
1: Yeah, man. It's a lot of fun, man. And a lot of good information. Like I even feel confident that I can go catch a fish now.
0: Wow. That's, <laughs> that's a billboard. How good,
1: that's how good it is. That's another billboard. <laughs> Hey, they don't call me Billboard Billy for nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, Billboard Billy, I am going to talk with Captain John Parks. And when I'm done talking with him, I'm coming back to you for Billy's best takeaway. Billy's best takeaway. All
1: right. Sounds good.
0: And now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Captain John Parks, early riser fishing charters out of the Swansboro area. Welcome to the show, John. I've been looking forward to this podcast since we talked about it following the Moorhead Fishing School.
2: Appreciate being on it, there, Gary. Uh, I'd like to help out the local guys in the area getting some good bait for this season.
0: Yeah, man, it's a great service you're doing. Is sharing some info that I know is going to be highly sought out. Catching large men, Hayden. But before I cut you loose to talk about catching large men, Hayden, as is tradition on the podcast, you've got two questions to get through first. You tell me you're ready. I give you question number one. I'm ready. Question number one. Why should we, or anyone for that matter, listen to anything you have to say about catching a menhaden?
2: Well, I've been traveling the coast here fishing tournaments for the last 25 years, and before that we did a lot of fishing just up and down the coast enjoying it and getting ready to actually do the pro tournaments and stuff. So uh, even before that, we had a bait business selling menhaden up and down. We followed a tournament trail back in the 90s selling bait and fishing. So we've uh, put in our, our knots and earned, earned the right to you know, speak about it.
0: I think you have, man. I'm giving that answer a passing score. Now, as tradition goes, question number two is a non-fishing-related question. Um, I'm playing off of early riser fishing charters. Uh, you're an early riser, but are most Americans. I'm going to ask you to guess what is the average – Bedtime for most Americans. Most Americans go to bed at what time? 10.30. 11.39. The average American wakes up at what time?
2: 6.30. Uh,
0: 7.09. You're, you're very close. I think you're close on both elements. That concludes our non-fishing-related question, our non-fishing-related portion. I know people want to hear what you have to say about Menhaden so you talked about location of bait in different areas um what do you got for me man i'm just going to turn it loose to you and i'm going to react to what you start telling me all
2: right well one thing uh for sure when you're hunting large shad here in this area that's the first thing they got all the alias names they're the aka shad besides men they call them the turbos fatback, bunker just depending on your area the bait can have a different name typically what i've always done Starting from the north to the south, anytime I'm north of Cape Lookout, we rarely, rarely catch our bait inside the inlet. 90% of our shad we catch up there is in the ocean. And anywhere from Cape Lookout down to about Prime Pan Shoals, right in that area, we catch the majority of our large shad in the waterway and in the sound. And when we get from approximately Bald Head Island, that area right there at Cape Cape Fear. From there south, we start catching them in the ocean again. And there all the way through the South Carolina area down to around northern Florida, we catch the majority of our menhaden in the ocean. Not to say that at times you won't find them in shore. you know, fishing's like English. It's got uh, an exception to every rule. But uh, naturally, um, we start looking heavily in those areas each time.
0: So. Man, that definitely lends itself to a couple of questions. Why do you think they're inside in that zone, you know, before bald head and you know, below Cape Lookout? Like why why do you think that is an inside area?
2: I just feel like it's because of the weight of marshes in this area, or water's a little clearer. Um, when you get south, it's a little dirtier. Up north, um, they're in the sound some, but they're in the ocean more up there. I've never really figured out quite out. And when you're talking about the ocean. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. In Oslo Bay like that, I've always felt like we've had a little bit of clearer water inside into the uh, marsh area. And it just seems like it seems to hold them in there better.
0: And when we're talking about the ocean, like, what's a typical ocean trip, man? Are we talking just up and down the beach? Are we talking about yeah. out right. anything
2: close to the inlet? Right. Does not matter? It, that's exactly right. Running down the beach, just searching for them. And typically when you find them in an area... You're going to find them there again over and over um, each day until a bad blow, a storm comes, could move them some on you. But a lot of years, they come right back to the same areas. Um, Things, uh, rips through the sandbar, stuff like that, I hold them at times. But they just moving up and down the coast a lot of times. You just got to run and gun to come up on them in the ocean. In the waterway and in the sounds, they seem to hold in that same area a little better. And in the
0: ocean... Do we have like again? I'm like you say, exception, and they move around, or a, an average water depth like off the beach. I'm I'm thinking more yeah, along typically. the lines of the rope or what I got to tie on to throw that net.
2: Yeah, typically right in there, uh, 15 to 20 foot of water. At times they get out there in 30, 40 foot of water, and that's when you need to start tying on another rope, possibly. Or if you get them in there and you can feel them hitting the net, as soon as they're hitting the net, snatch and pull it in. Anytime you're in that um, water like that out there, you're going to be using a large net. So uh, as soon as it opens up and starts hitting them, a lot of times you can close it right up and get them.
0: So I don't know if you were planning on talking about this when we talk about boat position, current, and wind, but I'm sure the people watching or listening to this podcast would say, all right, you can send me out into the ocean in those zones or you can send me inside in those zones but I'd still like some help trying to find them. Even though I know the basic zone where to look, that doesn't mean I'm going to find them. Anything you can do to help me find them once I'm in the zone you recommend?
2: Once you start getting in them areas and them zones you're looking for, we start looking for pelicans diving and looking for the flips and slicks on the surface. The Menhaden have a very distinctive flip and uh, pop on the surface um and get out there early in the mornings when it's slicker the water's a lot calmer less boat traffic a lot easier to see them um, and right on the beach the pelicans will help you out a whole lot more than they will in the waterway the waterway you're usually going more by your eyesight and you're going a lot less with the um pelicans and stuff like that in the waterway i like to do with the eyesight and another thing when you get up on them you, you start seeing them and they're popping and this and that and you start to get close it's a good time to quit looking out for them and start looking down because um, by then it's usually quiet in the mornings, calm. You can hear out to your distance and hear if one's out away from the boat. But if you see them mooning right under the boat, you want to sling your net right in, open up all you can right there under the boat.
0: And are you using machines at all to find bait, or is it all basically sight, bird surface? Or, or you know, are you a combination? You of the each. Net because of what you see on electronics.
2: Combination of each, um, sometimes it's on electronics, he's marking them, we'll sling the net. But once we get close early mornings, I love to look straight down into the water. I quit looking out once I get close to where I know my bait are at. I'm looking straight down into the water, looking for them to start mooning for me. When, when I say that, I mean by the flashing of them. As soon as I see a flash, I'll throw it. If not, I hear a pop out from me. I can hear them that distinct sound. I throw that direction towards that pop. And with a big net like that, typically when you're throwing it, you've got control of it until you let completely loose. So you can still turn it a little more, throw it a little further, pull it in a little tighter to wherever you're seeing, you know, or hearing your pop at.
0: So if I'm out there, I guess I'm kind of following more along the ocean lines, but it sounds like all of this applies whether we're inside or outside. If Mm -hmm. I'm outside and, and, and unfortunately, I don't have any pelicans helping me out and, you know, what am I doing? And I'm, you know, there's no obvious flips. There's no obvious pops. Are you cruising up the beach at like idle speed? Are you cruising faster than idle speed? And at what point do you decide, I got to put it in neutral, if not turn off the engine.
2: When you're coming up on a smaller Manhattan, a lot of times you can leave your motor running. It won't scatter. It won't bother them or nothing. Your bigger shad like that. A lot of times we're more spooky the motor will scare them. Uh, a lot of noise on the boat or scare them off. You're, you're much better off just cutting your motor off, getting close to them.
0: All right, man. Well, I tell you what. Let's go. I like your second point called net selection. I know there's, you know, ever more choices out there now. How do you advise us on net selection for catching the larger Hayden?
2: Well, I would definitely go with a 12-foot net. I wouldn't try the 10-foot just because the bait are so much bigger and faster. And you can go with a bigger mesh then. We go with a three-quarter and a five-eighths on the large bait nets we use. Um, and when you get into the shallower water, we use a heavy net for the deep water. When we get into the shallower water, I go with a lighter net so I can throw it further. The big heavy net, a pound and a half, two pounds per foot on the net, it's hard to get very far from the boat. And when you get in there on the flats like behind Hawker's Island or on some flats down the waterway where you're catching your bait some mornings, them bait are going to be really fast. Um, As soon as you see them or they flip right beside the boat, next thing you know, they're out 40 foot from the boat. So you need something you can really get on away from the boat. And there again, I still go with that 5-8 mesh.
0: And you're throwing a 12-foot, whether you're inside or outside?
2: 12-foot inside or outside, yes, sir. You need it just so you can get all all of it with them big bait like that. They're just so much faster.
0: So... I'm just thinking. Some people are thinking, "Oh my God, I got to throw a 12 foot net." Like, how much of a disadvantage it would it be if someone says, "Man, if I get a 10 foot, I'm I'm good. 12 foot's just out of reach right now." Like, how big a deal is it if I'm throwing a 10 foot?
2: Well, the one thing is, like, if you're throwing an eight, a nine, or a 10, and let's say you get a perfect throw with it, and I throw a 12, and I don't even get a good throw, I'm still going to cover more square footage is one good thing with it. If you do have to have a not a perfect pancake that time, you're still going to get a lot of a lot of square footage versus a fully open ten foot. Um,
0: well, I f- I follow. So a 12 foot and then the five eighths. What'd you say? Five
2: eighths or what size? Yeah, five eighths or three quarter. Either or one. Or three quarter. Yeah, you get much any bigger than that, and you're going to start trying to gild them then Well, man.
0: Tell me about boat positioning now. We're going to imagine we found some baits in the ocean. Let's talk about in the ocean first. I mean, it might be a duplicitous conversation to talk about outside than inside boat position, but let's see how it goes. Out in the ocean, talk to me about boat position to get ready to throw a 12-foot net.
2: Well, that's one thing um, when you're catching your bait in the mornings or afternoons, whatever it is you're hunting your shad there. the man driving the boat is – just as important as the guy throwing the net if you can throw that net perfect but the guy who's driving the boat for you can't set you up on the bait, you're, you're still you know you're not doing nothing um you got to all be in connection all on the same page there the first thing i always do when we start getting out to close to the areas where we're going to be netting our bait i like to immediately figure out which way to drift to the boat's going to be you want to set up up current from them, So that you can get the boat going towards your area and cut the motors off and drift, and whoever's there just because they cut the motors off that don't mean they run away from the wheel and run up there to you because with the boat going you can still turn the wheels and turn the boat so if the bait move a little bit without ever cranking the motors he can turn the wheels a little bit move you a little bit and at the same time with the current like that he's wanting to make sure he's trying to get the wind the current and the wind together because he wants to have the wind at your back the best you can and sometimes if you're uh, got a lot of current there, you're by the edge of the inlet or something. It's liable to be pushing the boat away from, or, you know, opposite of, with the wind like normal. So you kind of want to set it up in caddy corner to where the man can still throw off the one side or the other with the, of the boat with the net with his wind to his back. But with that wind to your back, you can get every in net a lot easier.
0: And when we're targeting large men, Hayden, then there really isn't a scenario where you're not throwing the net with the engine off. Like it pretty much needs to be a drift throw.
2: Usually. Yes, sir. First thing, uh, they, when we're, our team, uh, the animal house fishing team, which my king mackerel fishing team I've been with for years. As soon as we get in there in the morning, we set up on them, We get drifting that way. He kills the motors off. I'm on the front. If we miss them. He cranks them up, moves me back around, gets close, cuts the motors back off. Another good reason for that. I know these new motors are quiet and all, but um i can still hear a lot better i can hear if they popping over here or popping over there where i didn't see let's say i'm staring down in the water looking for them to moon for me and hearing them over there if that motor's running i might not hear it same thing with everybody talking in the boat or opening hatches and off everybody can just hold on and be quiet that little bit through the morning to speed you up a whole lot with getting a tank full of shed
0: does the uh routine change at all if we're inside is it still the same routine
2: Typically the same, there ain't much difference, um, but there you're always going to have a lot of uh, current, you know, ripping down the waterway, so you're still going to have to set up a little bit more with the current and the wind. You're going to to start adjusting yourself a little more. Typically in the ocean, your current is more with just the wind, so you're about always going to be throwing your net with the wind. In the waterway, a lot of times you kind of got to set up and be going at an angle with it so the man can throw the net off the side of the boat a little more. All
0: right, before we get to bait care though because that was the next talking point man let's talk more about throwing that net and so are you and you've already told me no but i'm going to ask the question anyway you're not letting the net go to the bottom every time is that correct
2: not always that's correct if we're out there sometimes you'll see you'll be in there looking on the beach right in there in that 20 25 foot of water where you've been catching your bait and they've spooked out moved out to 40 foot of water not in which is not that much further off the beach when we get out of there a lot of times um, throwing the net, As soon as it hits the water, as soon as I feel the shad hitting the net, I draw it closed and pull them in. I will have another rope tied on onto there just in case I need to get it down. But the thing with these nets, and which is another reason to throw the 12 footer, is as it's sinking, it's drawing in and getting smaller and smaller. So if you're letting it go all the way to the bottom, you, you're very small by the time it gets there anyways. And that's
0: any net, a 12-foot, a 10-foot, an 8-foot. All of them have that characteristic.
2: Yes, sir. They're all going to close a certain amount as they're going down. And uh, like I say, the bigger the net, then the more open you do have when it gets down there. So I
0: don't throw a big net. So I'm not really throwing on big pogies. I mean, I'm throwing on finger mullet. And I'm like, when that net hits the bottom, I'm kind of like sliding it. I'm trying to get those sinkers to close together together on the bottom not trying to pull up is it the same am i doing that right with my finger mullet and do you do anything similar when you're catching large menhaden
2: yeah you're doing the right thing there and the same thing with the menhaden one thing with the finger mullet you're trying to do when you're dragging it real easy is not let them get out from underneath it to where the menhaden usually aren't trying that much to come from underneath it anyways they're kind of more up into it there are a lot of times when you catch them big ones like that you first throw your net. It, it don't even sink sometimes. You're on what we call floating the net. It's just sitting right there on top of the bay. It gets so many of them in it that it can't even hardly go down for a little bit. All
0: right. Well, I mean, that makes sense. So you're telling me the characteristic of a pogey menhaden isn't to escape underneath. They're more heading up into the net anyway, so it's less of a mm-hmm. factor to do the finger mullet drag. Yes, sir. Um, what else, man? What? So what else do people need to think about that they haven't thought about so they've found the bait, they've even thrown the net, and they feel like they have menhaden in the bay, in the net, and they pull on it. Then what happens next, man? We want to make sure they do everything right.
2: Yep, after you throw the net, usually with the bigger bait like that, even the smaller one you'll fill it some, but with them really large jumbo shad, you're going to feel them hitting that net hard. So you know you got them. You go ahead and holler to the other guys that your teammates uh, made on the boat, your other guys fishing with you. Go ahead and get you a tub ready. What well, we carry on our boat, some guys like to have an net pin that's a wet pin they put over there. It's almost like a holding pin for bait that they'll dump into. Then they'll net them out of there back into their tank. Um, if the tank ain't flush, if the tank's flush on your deck at the bottom or you can get the net right to it easily and open your net directly into your tank, your best off. the more you touch them bait, the worse shape they're going to be. What we usually do though is we got a big tub we carry that's a soft tub, it's kind of like a laundry tub, it's a soft material, rubber. And it's round, we fill it about half way with water and we dump the shad straight into it. And if we've only got half a dozen or a dozen, we always dump them into it, and then just pour it the water and the bait straight into the live well. If we load the net up, if I'm loaded up, what we do is I get it up there beside the boat, pull the gimbal to the very top of the net, ring of it. Pull it on up higher so you can get your bait shook down to the end of it. Pull them all out at once and dump the net directly into the bait tank is what we like to do. But um, that is only if it's filled up. If it's not, I'll just dump them a few into the um, tub to pour in. And the reason why is when I dump them into that tub right right there and he can run there with them, I'm right there at the bow where the bait could pop again. So I am load my net really fast and be ready to um, throw it again immediately.
0: Okay, man, There's a, I like this. This seems to be a fair amount to unpack. And I, So first off, I'm just going to sort of recap because you just gave us a lot. So there are some guys that basically carry like a bait pen that you might tie up to a dock to hold bait overnight or hold bait for a period of time that they'll put mm-hmm. in the water beside the boat so that the cast net and fish don't even come over the gunnel. You're basically they, dumping the pogies dump the right, right in. into that bait pen that you've temporarily put overboard now that you know there's pogies in the net
2: yes sir put them right into the temporary one and then dip them back out and a lot of guys like to do that because then they can select the bigger bait out of there um it just depends on how much live well capacity you have on our big boat we run two very large live wells so big net full we can pull throw right into one of the tanks with no problem um so then then we select them out as we're fishing and we'll pull the smaller ones out and use them as live chum
0: And for all of this, you're walking from the bow to the back of the boat. That's where all this action has happened. You're throwing from Mm -hmm. the bow, but that's not where you're handling the bait if you have bait in the net.
2: No, once I sling over that way, i go ahead and start walking to the back of the boat with the net rope still in my hand. And once I get to the back, bring it on up beside the boat, pull the ring up a good way. You want to pull it up usually about seven, eight foot from the weights. That way you can get all the bait just right down there at the weight so they'll release and come right all out at one time.
0: And then I, I follow what you said. So you have sort of like a malleable sort of rubber laundry basket that you can dump in, and that's sort of the go-between. So, again, we're not, you're not using your hands, and you're not even scooping with the bait net. You're Correct. basically batch dumping into the live well.
2: Yes, sir. You, don't, you want to touch them as least as possible. Every time you touch them, you're tearing off scales. And your bigger bait are awful hardy. Once you get them out there and on the hooks and they're hardy swimming, but they don't do as well in captivity. So you really want to be very, very careful with them.
0: What What about any other bait care notes? Like once they're in the live well, is there anything else that I need to know?
2: Yes, sir. That's a very important part there. One thing, don't never overpack your live well. All you're going to do, you spend all this time locating your bait. Getting their throw right. Everybody working at it. It's frustrating some mornings, you know, the gnats on you, everything else. You've gotten your bait. You pack your live well too full. You ride out 20 miles of your fishing grounds and your bait are all red and look rough already eating fish. Uh, A lot of guys do that. You know, they've been working at it hard. and They finally got this net full of bait. We're going to keep them all. Now, you you don't want to do that. That's the worst thing. You want to keep with the medium um, and the large, not the huge ones, but the medium to the large baits. A gallon of water per bait in your live well is perfect, and you want a good live well with no obstructions in there. A good circular one, Um, oval one will work, but you want something round so they can come around there nice and easy, and no obstructions. These new pressurized ones keep the bait. When we get done fishing in the afternoons, the ones we've had in the pressure or pressure live well in the right amount per gallon of water, they look like we just caught them that morning at the end of the day. Um, But with The big jumbos, I'd like to go to a gallon and a half of water per bait. Um, With the smaller big bait, you know, what we still would consider a big bait, a gallon of water per bait is good. So a 30-gallon tank, no more than 30 bait.
0: Um, I don't know if you're an engineer or not. Are you able to explain to me in terms that I can understand what a pressurized live well is?
2: These new pressurized live wells have a locking lid and a seal at the top and besides control for your water coming in valves you can valve off your exhaust your your overflow you can valve it off and have it going just right and your your exhaust is at the very top of that tank then you can valve it just right to where that tank stays completely full so while the boat's running it's not sloshing beating slamming and beating your bait around in there you're swimming in there just like the boat sitting still
0: all right i got another question man if i'm Tournament king mackerel fishing, then of course it's Menhaden and only Menhaden. If I'm not tournament king mackerel fishing, and I might just want to have options, is there any bait that can coexist with the pogies and be cool? And what bait do we definitely not want to coexist with the pogies because it's definitely not cool?
2: You can put your jig bait in there; they get along in there fine. I would not add the bluefish in there with them. The bluefish will really uh, terrorize them, of course. But uh, your your greenies. Um, Cigar menace, Boston mackerel, all your jig bait. We typically get off the alphabet buoys and the live bottoms and structures around here. They they, they blend fine with the menhagen.
0: And I, I think we're coming towards the end of the show, but, man, I, like what is it? What are some tips that you've sort of g- gathered through the years that, you know, something that, you know, the average person or just developing – hasn't thought about or needs to think about, you know, any last advice you can give us to make the process smooth from finding bait to throwing on bait to carrying bait. I mean, I'll take anything you got.
2: The biggest thing in the mornings is if everybody can get on the same page, even if you're just out for a fun day of fishing, if everybody can just get on the same page and get serious and quiet for that little bit of the morning, make catching your bait a whole lot easier and then the care for them. And the last thing we had not said anything about is when you're getting your bait out of your tank, you put them on the hooks. I like to pick a shad up, and when I hold him in my hand, I will hold the bottom of the shad by in my thumb, the top of the shad right up here, or vice versa, have the there and there. I don't like the sides of the shad in Menhaden to hit my hand. I want to hold him just from the top and bottom. It was like we were talking about before. Every time you net them or do anything, you're tearing scales off of them. If you can just hold him from the top and the bottom, you won't tear no scales off of him. He'll look a lot fresher and go into water a lot faster.
0: What's, uh, what's your favorite size Menhaden, for tournament King mackerel fishing?
2: Them 8 to 10-inch ones we catch off the beach up there off of Hatteras, and sometimes we get them down through there uh, off the beach of uh, uh, Onslow Bay and in that area.
0: So 8 to 10 would be exciting there, there, for a tournament yeah. drag.
2: Yeah, and at times people don't really believe it, but at times you will catch them up to 12 inches at times in the fall.
0: And what size menhaden is too small for king mackerel fishing, you know, serious king mackerel fishing, where you'd say, ah, I just wouldn't pull that?
2: Well, when they get start getting under about 3 inches, 4 inches, they don't want to pull good. They don't want them to stay together good. But now another little good secret thing is if that's all you got, you can double them up and run your double pogie rigs or your triple lungy rig. Um, multiple tournaments in the past we've been in, and we've ran either doubles with small bait or triples and ended up with a very nice catch.
0: Well, John, we've been talking about bait. We haven't been talking much about early riser charters. So tell my audience, man, tell me a little bit more. Give me the highlight reel of what early risers targeting throughout the year. Take me through them spring, summer, fall.
2: Well, during the spring, we start out looking to Bonita and all right here on the beach and catching some Spanish. Then, most of our summer, we do our live six hour live bait trips and eight hour live bait trips, targeting king mackerel, cobia, dolphin, the occasional sailfish, and occasional tuna like that. And during the fall, we're hot and heavy on the big kings. We really like the big kings in the fall. Um, come book a trip with us for try to get you one over 50. You know,
0: how far off the beach in the fall?
2: Right on the beach. We um, called them right in there, right behind the breakers. I think last year we had a Seven-year-old client on the boat called a 46-pound fish in 20 of water. Right on.
0: Hey, Captain John Parks, early riser fishing charters out of the Swansboro area. Man, appreciate very much you taking the time to talk to me about catching manhaden.
2: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: All right. Man, that was great. Billy, what do you think? Man, it was
1: great. I, You know, I didn't know that much about catching bait, so this is a very interesting conversation and learned a lot. So, yeah, man, a couple – couple of takeaways for you, Gary, whenever you're ready. I am ready. Billy's best takeaway. So I guess my best takeaway of the two would be to cut the motor uh, really, you know, one, you don't spook the fish, but two, so you can actually hear the fish flipping. I thought that was a pretty smart idea. Um, and then I put this together in um, out of inspiration from the president, Theodore Roosevelt, speak softly and sling a big net. You'll catch more <laughs> bait. So
0: there you go. Yeah, man. A 12 foot (laughs) net. That's intimidating. I mean, I I see them throwing the bigger nets at our fishing schools. I mean, most people are throwing the smaller nets, but every now and then you got the big net interest and man, it is, it is as impressive a sight as I've ever seen someone throwing a 12 foot net. I've never done it. I guess I got to put it on the list. I guess I got to challenge myself, right? I got to get out of my comfort zone.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, everything he said, like, Hey, bigger, bigger area, even if you, you know, botch it, you probably have a better chance of getting some fish in there rather than not. And then also the sinking thing. I didn't realize they closed up on the way down. So Mm -hmm. covering more area on the way down. So a lot of good takeaways, man. A lot of good takeaways.
0: Yeah, man. And, And like I said, at the start, we do get requests about bait. And so when John said, I, I'll talk about, I mean, I didn't tell him we get requests about bait. I just said, Hey, what would you like to talk about when he volunteered catching large med Hayden? I was like, man, perfect. Like I'm right. Yeah, that great. I'm, pu- I'm blocking you in right now, but consider it. So stoked to have him, man. Uh, yeah, he's uh, popular at the fishing schools, man. He talks with a wealth of information and as you can tell, he, he likes sharing. He's a good ambassador.
1: Yeah, man. That's awesome. And, and all that, um, and the gallon per bait too, that was, that was pretty interesting, man. I, I was like, I, cause I don't know anything about, you know, I got to go to Marine warehouse and buy a boat so I can actually have a live well, but
0: <laughs> honey, a big, I swear live well, you need a big enough boat with a, <laughs> a round live well, pressurized, like pull, you got to really pull that right? credit card out, man. I don't want you to play with it. I want you to pull that <laughs> credit card out and commit. Yeah. Right. Like, yo, honey, I swear I wasn't
1: buying the boat. I was buying the live well because my problem is I suck at fishing. So I'm bright to have a lot more bait than the average guy. So I'm going to have a huge boat for all the bait, all the gallons of water.
0: So that's my problem. Here's how I would, here's how I would have you think about it. If, uh, if I had control, <laughs> I think you're waiting for us to sell a few more sponsorships before you buy a boat, but I think that's yeah. wrong. I think yeah. you buy the boat, you take the leap and then out of, desire to survive and not die you'll find the sponsorships once you look at that credit card bill or that whatever the loan is so i think you're looking at it wrong and you just need to create necessity and then everything will fall into place trust me
1: yeah or you know what everyone listening to this podcast episode just go sign up for our membership and maybe i can think about
0: considering buying a boat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Billy, this is a great show, man. I enjoyed great, talking man. to John. You know, enjoy the relationship. And uh and it, it's always good to be in the podcast mode. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And
1: thank you to our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center and Bland Landscaping Co. Go support those guys where you can. And uh and we'll see you guys in the next episode. And fish